You don't want to write. You want to be a person who has written. Here's the secret. No one enjoys writing. And I'm not talking about writing, capital W, which includes staring out windows, coming up with ideas, having a book published and out there. There are fun parts to capital W writing. I'm talking about writing, drafting, typey, typey, typey. Okay, some of us enjoy that part. I've met them. They're awesome. I don't understand them, but they're awesome. But most of us, we want to have written. So here is how you go from a person who wants to write to being a person who has written. Write to your strengths writing community and have an expert guide around to motivate and teach you what you need to know and only what you need to know. And this is exactly what happens in the Year of Writing Magically workshop. Spaces are available for the 2024 workshop that is 10 months from March to December, where you will be part of a community in which I lead you. I teach you everything you need to know about craft and teach you everything you need to know about discovery, drafting, drawer phase, and revision. I walk you through everything along with a group of people that you will bond with, have an amazing experience with, and I absolutely guarantee you will get more work done on that book than you would have if you had gone it alone. Go to HowStory.Works, click on the Year of Writing Magically workshop. Applications are open until December. All right, now go ahead and listen to the podcast. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. Everybody and welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and author Lonnie Diane Rich. And for anyone who needs advice on the first step to starting your long form fiction project, that's what I have for you today. It is the recording of my year of writing magically pre-workshop workshop where I walk a group of writers through the first steps in starting their new project, which is really about getting yourself ready emotionally. Creative work is dependent upon your emotional state. And if your emotional space is all crudded up, it can be harder to get started. And it's definitely harder to keep going. More on that in a minute. Right now, I'm going to give you the novel update. In the last episode of How Story Works, I was in the middle of my writing retreat in New York State, where I set aside two weeks while taking care of a very purry cat to write the hell out of my book. And I wrote nothing the whole two weeks. Nothing came to me. Nothing opened up. I was completely blocked. So... I did some emotional work. I was staying in the area where I grew up, and I've processed my childhood pretty well at this point, but in processing all the bad stuff, I realized I'd completely abandoned the good parts. So I drove around my old haunts and kind of picked up those bits of joy and happiness I'd had as a kid and reintegrated them into myself. And it was such an incredible experience, an incredible part of the process, one that I had not been anticipating. Um, but if you want to know more about that process, I wrote about it with specifics in my Dear Writer newsletter, which you can find at dearwriter.substack.com. Um, it also has its own podcast. All the links are in the show notes. Anyway, I did all of that the, uh, the day before I left to drive home. And you know, to no big surprise, the entire book opened up for me before I even crossed over the New York state border into Pennsylvania. It was wild. Um, by the way, pro tip, learn how to voice activate your voice memo app on your phone while you're not driving so that you can do it easily while you're driving because it's driving in the shower where these things usually break open. 
Anyway, ever since the trip now, I have been in a really fun redrafting process. That's revision and drafting, which is usually how the first revision goes. I am so excited about this book, you guys. When I was in New York and nothing was opening up and I didn't know what was missing from it or what I had had missed in the process of writing it, I was telling people, I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do anything with this. I may just have to abandon it. Like I was at that point, you know, and now because this one element opened up for me. Everything is falling into place and I'm in love with it again. I also had dinner with my agent while I was in New York and I told her about it. She's interested, but it's a super weird premise. It's it's philosophical women's fiction, sci-fi, comedy, horror. It is all of those things mixed up together. Super weird. Uh, but you know what? If she doesn't want it, like I will completely understand there may not be a place in the market for this. But if not, I'll just self-publish it. And I will absolutely let you guys know when you can read it. If you do subscribe to the Dear Writer newsletter, I'll be putting the first scene up there soon. But anyway, that's where I am with the novel. Um, I anticipate being done with the draft. I can show to my agent by January. And then I'll be ready to start a new project with the Year of Writing Magically workshop, which begins in March. And here's the thing. I don't know what my next book is going to be. And you can start the Year of Writing Magically workshop without knowing what your project is. Uh, we go through a full discovery process, so you don't have to know anything. And the fact that I don't know what I'm going to work on, I'm trying to remember back. I didn't know what I was going to work on when we started it this year. I cannot imagine now writing any other book than the one I'm writing now. But I, I had no idea. So like I'm looking at March and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I don't have a project, a specific project that I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. And I completely forget that that was where I was last year when this whole thing started. And now in 10 months, and it hasn't even been a full 10 months yet, I am almost done with the first full draft of uh, of a of a novel. I haven't written a novel in nine years. It's amazing to me. Like, I'm just, I'm so excited about this. Uh, so what I want to share with you now is kind of the prelude to the Year of Writing Magically workshop. I gave a pre-workshop workshop on November 14th where I explained the Year of Writing Magically writing schedule in detail. There's a link to that in the show notes if you want to grab it. So people who want to do the Year of Writing Magically on their own can kind of follow along. You just follow. I give you the full run of what we do, when we do it, how we do it. Also, I gave an abbreviated version of the first class in the workshop where I walk writers through their emotional spaces in order to prepare themselves to start writing. I love this way of starting the workshop. And the feedback I got when I started this way last year was so enthusiastic. So I thought I really wanted to share that with you all, because even if you're not going to do the year of writing magically as part of the official cohort, you know, if the class closes up, if you don't get in or whatever, we only have so many spaces, they are really going. Um, but if you want to follow along and kind of follow along with the ideals and the, and the schedule that I'm providing uh, today in this episode of How Story Works, uh, you can absolutely do that. But if you would like to be part of the Year of Writing Magically 2024 cohort, there is a link in the show notes, or you can just go to yearofwritingmagically.com and apply there. All right, so let's get into the workshop. Um, I wanted to go over the... Um, the basically the year of writing magically schedule. Um, so one of the things that got me started on this idea of the year of writing magically was my experience in NaNoWriMo. The first book I ever wrote, Time for Good Behavior, um, I wrote during NaNoWriMo of 2002. <laughs> so it's been quite a while. And I loved 
that feeling of um of community you know of like you're in this with other people that's one of the things i absolutely love about nano um and so i was kind of inspired by that but the thing is that like um, in my experience writing a novel just takes a lot longer um my third novel i wrote was uh called a romantic comedy called maybe baby and um i wrote it during nano and it just didn't give me enough time to like be able to do all the things that I need to do to be able to write a novel. So what I've done is I've kind of expanded that sort of uh, community-based like, you know, work experience to 10 months of the year. Um, so we actually run the workshop from March through to December. Um, and so during those 10 months, we go through all of the processes of writing, um, discovery, drafting, revision. I will explain all of them um, as we go through this, uh, this little document, sort of giving the schedule of the year. And this is the kind of thing too, that if like you wanna follow along on the schedule, you can see how we do things and, and um, and do that. So this is the year of writing magically um, schedule. The biggest thing to remember is that the year of writing magically is about you. Um, one of the things that I teach in this workshop is how to take all the principles about writing that I will be giving you throughout the year and make them yours, use them in ways that are actually helpful to you. Uh, one of the things that we talk about early on is developing a bespoke writing process. So yes, we have a structure and we're following through that structure and I'll be teaching things, you know, teaching craft at certain points where the craft becomes more relevant, teaching discovery and, and how you do all of those things and walking you through not just like how to write a book, but how to be a person who is writing a book. Because it's not like the rest of your life just ceases to exist and now you are a writer and you're doing your thing and everything sets itself aside so that you can be creative and all of that. We all know that's not really how it works. So one thing that I wanted to incorporate into the year of writing magically was creating a space for you to be a human being who wants to do this thing um, and making it more possible for you to do that by working through um, a lot of the like regular life stuff that make it really hard. I mean, there's a reason why it's hard to write a novel. Like it's hard to do a long form fiction project. It's hard to write a screenplay. There's so much that you need to do that I think sometimes we expect the time, the space, the mental and emotional psychological energy to come from somewhere magical because creativity is magical. And it doesn't. It, there's a lot of very particular types of self-care, self-reflection that need to be done in order to open up the space that you need to be able to write a novel. So that's a big part of the workshop. And it's also a big part of what I'm going to be talking to you as soon as I'm done showing you um, this uh, schedule, which you will be receiving in PDF form after the um, after the workshop. Uh, 
Um, but one of the big things is that just to know that like we do have the schedule, there are things that like from my experience writing novels uh, that I know that I have gone through and all of that. And this is a schedule that will work for getting you to that space. But also this is a schedule that is incredibly customizable. You can work around it if you feel the need to start a little earlier, move a little later, whatever, all of that is fine and completely accommodated within the workshop. Um, so first we start with January and February, right? I told you the workshop starts, uh, runs from March to December. Um, and that is so that January, February, you can rest, right? We like the end of the year is an intense that run from Labor Day to Christmas is family and kids and a million things. Like it's always such an incredibly busy time of the year. And then we get to January 1st and we decide that we have to hit the ground running on 8 million resolutions and all these things that we want to change. And the new year is here. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. You want to write a novel this year? Start with resting in January. Start with recovering from all of the stuff that you've had to do throughout the fall. Um, take some time to take a breath, to see the new year as it is coming in, to welcome the new year in, um, and to just sort of give yourself some, some space. This is a really good time to like practice your meditation, to create space in your life. Um, one of the things that we're going to do uh, when we start the workshop in March is talk about doing a life inventory. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, um, a little bit more detail um, when we're done looking at the um, the schedule. But you need to be able to kind of take that breath and get into a space where you can start moving. This is a really good time to just, you know, clear out the things in your life that are requiring a lot of energy or a lot of attention that maybe you don't want so much. It's a good time to sit down with your loved ones and see how they can support you in this, you know, and start uh, helping out with uh, other things. If you have kids who maybe don't have as many chores, maybe you can give them a couple more. Maybe this is the time in January and February when you can be like, hey, baby, let me show you how to do some dishes, you know, and, and take a look at all of that. But in order for you to be able to do that, your life has to slow down enough that, that you can take a look at it without it blurring as it rushes past. So those are all the things that I want people to be thinking about in January and February. Um, and then we have March and April. March 2nd is when the year of writing magically 2024 starts starts. Um, and we're going to start, uh, we're going to start with a lot of that personal stuff. Um, the things that I'm going to be talking to you about uh, when we're done looking at the schedule. Um, but this is also where we do our discovery work. Now you do not need to know like what you want to write when you come into the year of writing magically. Um, I've had a lot of people who come in, they start the workshop and they're not sure, you know, they maybe have a couple of ideas, um, they might have a project that they've been really wanting to get done. Um, but the March and April time period is when we're like throwing all the creativity around. I had, I think, probably like 
three different ideas sort of bubbling around. And as I did the exercises for discovery that we were doing in March and April, I found myself really gravitating toward one of them. So during the phase of uh, discovery, one of the first things, like what I was talking about a little bit before um, when I was talking about the, uh, the January and February time, right, is starting by conducting a life inventory. One of the things that we go into the creativity and we think that like, this should be something that we can add to our life, right? And the fact is that you you can't. You're already using up all of your time and energy. And a lot of times we will think like, oh God, I don't have time. Usually I find that we do have time. What we don't have is energy. Um, and that is because you have a finite amount of energy and you spend it during the day. And then at some point during the day, that energy is gone right? Your budget is done and you've got to rest and you've got to relax. And maybe you can get a little bit more later in the day. Um, I have a time of the day uh, that my husband calls the head in two hands time of day. And that is the point of the day where you've spent what you've got. And then you end up spending the rest of the evening watching TV, listening to podcasts, playing games on your phone and feeling bad, like somehow um, you're failing in some way because look at this time, right? I have these hours. I could do something with them. No, you really can't. You can't do something with them because they, like your energy is gone. All you can do with that time is recover. So the idea of, and this I think happens to a lot of us it, at the new year where we're like, oh, we're going to do all of these things. And the idea that we're going to write a novel this year with all of this extra time and energy um, is not terribly realistic. So one of the things that we start right at the beginning with is doing a life inventory where you look at all of the things in your life that you do and think about which ones you can ask other people to do for you. I have found... <laughs> And again, it's not for the whole year, right? Like the, the big intense times are um, when we do the drafting, which is May and June. And when we do the redrafting, which is the first revision, which usually has more drafting, like November, December. Those are the really intense times where you're writing a lot. But like during those months, having, you know, people who can, um, you know, take care of the laundry, take care of the dishes, Ask for support from the people who love you. If there's somebody who can take care of the kids a little bit more during that month, if you are lucky enough to have family that's close. Um, you know, the other thing too is that for those of us with day jobs, um, I like to introduce the idea of half-assing it. Most of us with day jobs are working at a place that we may like people, we may like our jobs, we may like what we're doing, but we're working for like a check. We're working for other people. And I have discovered that you can you can kind of relax that a little bit. Uh, there is space for you to maybe do a little bit less, maybe give, you know, say 70% instead of 100 or 120 or 150, knowing where you usually give, right? If you're one of those people who does 100% at work every day, you can take that down and no one will notice because most of the other people you work with do not give 100% all the time. So that is also another place where you can take some energy, maybe some time. Maybe you can, you know, 
depending on the circumstances of your workplace, you know, maybe you can get a couple of minutes where you can sit and and write a little bit or whatever. But yeah, like I'm always a big fan of doing a little less at work, if that's at all possible, because I know that that can sometimes be uh, be a little challenging for people. So one of the other things that we do, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, is acknowledge and set aside your fears. Fears are a huge thing that kind of keep us crunched into a space that doesn't allow us to be as creative as we'd like to be. Uh, Building soundtracks, which is something I've talked about a lot. So if you're familiar with my work, if you've listened to the How Story Works podcast, you've heard about that. Um, But we walk through building soundtracks and and how incredibly valuable that is. There are certain ways that you can do it, not necessarily how you build a soundtrack. It's fairly straightforward, but like the ways in which you use the soundtrack that can be really, really powerful. Um, Creating a collage, which is something that I hate doing every single time I do it. I'm always terrible with it. It's never something I want to do. And it is so incredibly valuable. It is usually like one of the most valuable things I do during discovery. Part of the collage is finding placeholders, actors, models, and stuff for your characters. One of the great things too, early in discovery that you want to do is create a list of stories that are similar to like the kind of thing you want to, you know, be doing and um, engage with them like TV shows, movies, uh, books, you know, whatever, just like immerse yourself in stories, like immerse yourself in the stories that inspire you, that you love stories that, you know, you know, that, you know, are inspiring and exciting for you. Again, building a writing process that works for you, which means there's a lot of changing things up. There's a lot of kissing frogs. There's a lot of realizing, ah, this doesn't work for me so well. So then trying something else um, and doing discovery writing. So those are the things And discovery writing, if you're not familiar, is the writing that you do during the discovery phase that is not necessarily meant to be in the book. Sometimes it ends up in the book, Um, But it's just to get you kind of like started living in this world and playing with these characters. So that is uh, March and April. May and June is drafting. And this is, you know, the typey, typey, typey part, right? So this is, for those of you who've done NaNoWriMo, this is basically what it is. But instead of doing 30 days for 50,000 words, which is kind of an intense schedule. We do about, we do a little bit more. I think I stretched this a little outside just the two months. We did like, I think 69 days of drafting last time, 67, 69. And that was for stretching that out. Like if you're doing, most novels are about 80,000 words. Most screenplays are about 90 pages. So you set your goal at the beginning and then you divide by the number of days that we're doing this. And then that's your daily goal. How you want to reach that, you know, is really up to you. But it's not as intense as the NaNoWriMo where you have to do like 1,600 words a day. In NaNo, generally, I would do about 2,000 to 2,500 words a day because I wanted to make sure that I had space if there was a day that I couldn't do it or whatever, that I had some wiggle room. So generally, you know, um, we'll work through drafting. And some people write a lot in drafting. Like I generally am a 12 hundred to 2000 word a day person. But I had somebody in the workshop who was like a four to $500, 500 word a day person. And that was fine. That just meant that they extended their drafting time a little bit longer, which is absolutely doable, even within this schedule, like you can adjust for what it is. And that person is still on track to be getting done by the end of the year. So, I mean, these are things we have a lot of elasticity. These are just general guidelines. Um, you know, and again, some people like to write a little bit every day. Some people like to write um, in big chunks 
two or three times a week. Um, the important thing is that, again, like you build a process that is best for you. Within the um, Year of Writing Magically group, we have a Discord chat. So it's just the cohort, which is really wonderful because it's such a great group. It's so much fun. And so like we have this cohort, we are all there together. We've all got that energy. Everybody's, you know, working on their books. Uh, one of the things that we would do is we would share every day that we wrote, we would share like a little snippet, like 100, 150 words or whatever. Everybody would come in and comment on what their favorite part of your snippet was. If you're familiar with my work, you know how important I think what's your favorite part is as a concept um, and as a principle. So, uh, so it just like was so much fun. I had such a good time. We pulled a tarot card every day and we take the meaning from the tarot card and use that as like a random inspiration that people could use to like, you know, put in their writing. If they didn't, if you don't know what to write, write this, right? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, one of the things too, is that we go into it with a, with the intent of writing crap, right? Like if you, if you go in with the intent that it's going to be bad and you know that it's going to be bad, it takes that pressure of like, oh my God, this has got to be good. Um, and actually frees you up to be more creative, to have more fun. It's, it's a mindset that changed my life, uh, when I first picked it up. And I still believe it is probably the one most important thing that I can tell any writer is always go in writing crap. It's not your job to be good. It's your job to create something. And understanding that there is no path to good work that doesn't go through bad work, that is very important. So the uh, the drafting process is uh, hugely energetic. It's really fun. This is why it's so great to do that within, within a group of people, within the cohort. You know, it's just like having that community energy while you're writing is so much fun. And it is a wild party. It is so fun. Um, then July and August is the drawer phase, right? And so the drawer phase is not usually talked about. Usually it's discovery, drafting, revision. And with the act of writing, yes, that's true. But I do believe in the value of once you're done with drafting, you stick that book in a drawer and you don't look at it for at least six weeks. So six to eight weeks. Um, and this is where, you know, you get some elasticity. Like we move into drawer phase in the, in the class. And during that time, some people are still drafting, right? But it's, that's where I start teaching all of the craft knowledge, right? Because when you're drafting, you want to forget the craft. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to worry about whether or not it's good. And I know that's scary, right? Because you think, well, if I write all this stuff, and it's no good, it's terrible, then I'm not going to be able to use any of it because it's not going to be good. Um, the reality is that whatever you're doing is going to have value um, and you're going to be able to pull a lot of that stuff. And like I, the original draft of my book, there was one like key to the structure that I didn't know that I was doing. I didn't figure that out until I was in revision. And now I'm in the revision process and I'm actually able to use a lot of the material that I wrote during that time. I'm just rearranging it and reworking it and editing it and all of that. So you just kind of have to like trust in the process. Uh, but during the drawer phase, um, just put it in a drawer, you don't think about it. And then this is where we start thinking about craft. So ideally, and I mean, this can be challenging because like I'm, you know, clearly a craft person. I wrote how story works. I needed to understand how story functioned so that I could write my novels. Um, and uh, but I need to put it away while I'm drafting. And I really recommend as much as possible that everybody just put it away and let your story be a free for all. Then you put it in the drawer. We learn all of the crafting. So I do character conflict um, and structure. So we go deep into all of that, how story works, everybody 
anybody who is part of the cohort gets a copy of that. Um, and we work through the book and all the material in there and talk about all of that crafty stuff. This gets you in a crafty state of mind for when we move forward into September and October, where we are reading for revision. So this is the point where we take our work. Um, ideally, you will um, print it out or put it into a PDF, something that you're not really editing. So like not going back into Word or whatever your word processing document is. And you revert, review your work, identify and, and fix problems. Think about how you would fix problems and amplify your strengths. One of the big things that I feel very strongly about is that you do your best work when you are focusing on your strengths and not playing whack-a-mole with your weaknesses. So instead of being so focused on what's wrong with it, how is it broken? How do I fix it? The whole ethos behind your writing magically is that I want to focus on what you actually are doing really well. I want you to look at your work and look at what your strengths are, look at what's awesome and use what you do really well to kind of like fuel you through and then, yes, you can fix things. Like sometimes things need fixing. Sometimes things need shoring up. I'm terrible at description. It's one of my weaknesses. So during revision, I go through and I really try to shore up my description work because when I'm drafting, I'm just like all the way through. And I rarely ever stop to, you know, smell the roses in my, um, in my manuscript. But I don't want to focus on that. I don't want to be like, oh my God, my or my description is terrible. So everything has to be about fixing that dis um, description. Or, you know, uh, some people are not as strong with dialogue. There's all sorts of things. Uh, but if you focus on anything that could be wrong with the story, you're going to put so much energy into that and not save the energy, not prioritize your energy for where your strengths are. So one of the big things during reading for revision is that I really want people to focus on their strengths, see where their strengths are, look at what they do well, and try to maximize the value of that. While yes, still fixing some things, but not being, not prioritizing the fix, prioritizing the strengths, the good stuff, the magic. So once it's in the drawer for six to eight weeks, you can look at this kind of as much as possible from the perspective of a reader. You have enough distance that you can look at it as a reader. So you want to go through as a reader. Um, you want to make notes. You want to look, you know, again, all of the craft stuff that we just learned during the drawer phase, you're going to want to apply to your reading for revision. So that is, you know, your central narrative conflict, making sure that you have a hold on that, that you understand what that is. Uh, you can write a book without knowing what your central narrative conflict is. I've done it a number of times. And then in revision usually is when I figure it out. Some people, other people know exactly what their central narrative conflict is when they're writing. Some people don't. It just all depends. So you make the notes, you look at your pacing, your structure, um, you get an idea of where all your big moments are, your anchor scenes and how they're moving. So there's all this stuff that I work with you on that to show you how to get all that structure in there. And once you're able to go through all of that, once you've done your reading, you've put all your post-it notes on the wall, you figured out your structure, you've got all this stuff done. Then we move into November, December, where we do revision plus a, a bit of drafting because 
there's a lot of drafting that's in the first revision when you finally got everything figured out. And now you have to go and organize all of your material and make it work for what your final product is going to be. So using what you learned during your drawer phase and your reading phases, we're going in and we're doing what I call redrafting. So it's revision and drafting. Um, and we use the energy of NaNoWriMo during November to like those of us who have a little more drafting to do to get that energy in and go through, do the revision, um, pull the stuff from the document that we need as we need it, work with all of that, kind of start fresh and sort of uh, construct the story from there. So this is like the big, heavy revision process. And so, yeah, you know, like we're all like doing nano sort of right now. It's not really because we've already done the original source drafting. So it's not living to the letter of the nano law, but it's definitely living to the spirit. So we're very much in this exciting, like fun space right now during November and December. And then in December, the workshop ends and you have something that you can work with. You have a novel that you have written. And at that part, that's about time to go into uh, working with beta readers, getting feedback from people who, you know, are reading this as readers and who can kind of give you that feedback. And then from there, you know, you can work on whatever you want to do with publishing or whatever. But this year of writing magically experience gets you to that place um, where you can then move forward with your story. We also do like I just did a workshop on publishing where we talked about query letters, agents, editors doing independent publishing versus traditional publishing and where you might want to land on that. So we do a lot of those workshops as well to kind of prepare everybody for the next step. And so that is the end of your year of writing magically schedule. Um, and if this sounds fun, imagine it as part of the cohort because it really is. It's so incredible. It's so much fun. I absolutely love that I get to um, write a novel alongside all of these wonderful people. Um, and it is so much fun. So I will be sending you that PDF in after the uh, workshop is over. Um, but one of the things to keep in mind too is that we have all of these phases segmented throughout the year but that doesn't mean that they are neat and clean and just their own thing i you know will find myself stopping drafting for three or four days while I go back into a discovery phase and kind of like get the next part of my story. Um, and of course, in revision, there's always discovery because you're revising things. So you're like, oh, well, no, I have new information that I'm putting in here. And there's drafting that happens in revision. There's some revision that happens in drafting. Um, so like it's all it's all kind of mixed together. Um, but we do move through these phases in that kind of you know, sequence. It's just, there's a lot of moving around. There's a lot of shifting around. Um, there are a lot of times where you hop out of one phase and into another that is completely normal and part of the whole experience and the whole process. All right. So uh, one of the first things that I teach in the year of writing magically are about 
the things that we need to unlearn in this process. One of the things is this idea that like uh, tough feedback makes you a better writer. I don't know if this is everybody. I think that like a lot of people who go through like MFA programs um, have this sort of mindset, this uh, beat the shit out of me mindset. And I know that I have, especially like earlier in my career, um, would send my my manuscript to friends, to people I loved and people who loved me and said, tear it apart. Tell me all the things that are terrible, you know? And I, I find critical feedback to be valuable after, like after everything that you've done that you'll be doing in the year of writing magically workshop, that's the time for critical feedback after you finish it, after the, the story has solidified. Um, during the course of the workshop, with one exception, when we do, when we practice critical feedback towards the end uh, by sharing opening scenes, um, they're, the only feedback you're allowed to ask for or receive is what's your favorite part. So you are absolutely, you know, uh, like, you know, fine. It's fine for you to, you know, like get feedback, share scenes, all that kind of stuff. But it's just that the only thing that that anybody should be giving each other during the year of writing magically is what's your favorite part. Because until you're done with your story, it's not solidified enough. It's not set to where you can take that critical feedback and it's actually useful. Um, until you know what the boundaries are of your story and what your story really is, and you can't until you're done with your first revision, which is the redrafting thing that we do at the end, then you, getting a whole bunch of critical feedback is more likely to throw you off your path than to help you. Um, so we don't do uh, critical feedback except for the opening scene. And again, that is toward the end of the year. Um, and that is really just so that we can all practice uh, the critique process, you know. So one of those things is the idea of, you know, of just like getting every, getting yourself beat up and looking at all of the the weaknesses in your story and focusing on that. Again, I don't feel that you get your most the most value out of your work by focusing on your weaknesses. You really do need to prioritize your strengths. Um, one of the other things too is uh, the like broken cookie syndrome, right? Where, you know, we put ourselves last in everything. In order to, to do this process, in order to write a novel, and I'm assuming that if you are here, you are here because you want to write a novel. Um, in order for you to do that, you need to be able to take up space. You need to be able to ask for help. You need to be able to say, all right, I'm going to be doing this thing. It's going to take up the space that I used to use to do X dishes, laundry, put in 100% at work, all of those things, right? Um, so one of the first practices that you do as part of the year of writing magically is that you you do a life inventory to figure out where you can cut corners. Where can you create space from things that you're already doing, right? And that requires you to ask the people in your life for support, uh, for love, for um, understanding. Like one of the things that happens to me during drafting is that I, my husband will come in and talk to me and say something to me and I will nod. I will seem like I'm listening to him. And then 10 minutes later, I'll be like, did you talk to me? Did you ask me something? 
did I say I would do something because I have no memory of it? Like I'm so, my brain is so focused in story that like, I honestly am only minimally present, you know, and uh, this book that I'm writing this year is the first book I've written since my husband and I got together. So it's the first time that he has been experiencing this, you know, um, from the, the perspective of a partner and he gets it you know, like he understands it, but it took a little bit of, um, of adjustment for him to uh, kind of get used to this new version of me. Like I am, I'm a fairly neat person. Like I clean up, you know, the stuff in the house and I'm, I'm happy to do that when I'm in drafting, like the laundry piles up, like, it's just, you know, like it's the things, the tasks that I usually do just don't get done. Like, and it's part of the process and that's fine. Cause I know that when I'm out of drafting, I will come back and be myself again. And he knows that, but during the drafting time, like it's just different. So being able to take the space that you need, being able to explain to your friends and family that you may be different during drafting and they just are going to have to accept that and give you a little bit more support, you know, um, that you will need more from them. But having those conversations with the people that you love and actually saying, um, this is something that I need. If you are the kind of person who does not usually ask for things can be a little bit challenging, but I will say that it was hugely challenging for me. I'm a big broken cookie person, which is like the idea that like, you know, everybody gets cookies and then I get the broken pieces that are left behind because I want to make sure that everybody else gets a full cookie. Right. If you're that kind of person, the practice of asking for what you need can be, and I'm not joking with you, like life-changing. Because once you do it once and you realize how much the people who love you want to support you, they want you to take the full cookie and they will be happy and, and thrilled to help you out. People who love you want you to do the thing that you want to do and are happy for a few months, you know, to, to pick up a little slack it, it really can change your perspective on everything. So like if you're a broken cookie person, something to think about. One of the other things that you need to release as part of this process is any idea of perfectionism. You will fail along the way in the workshop. You will have a couple of days where you get zeros, bullets on your uh, on your drafting, you know, little worksheet. Like we, I have a little Excel sheet that I give everybody. They can put their daily words in. Um, and it's all exciting when you're filling it out, but then there are the days you hit zero. There, like I said, there are days during drafting where I have to go back into discovery. Like I just stopped dead, you know? And so there's three, four days where it's zero, 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 zero. And it does... I, I struggle. I have, I have struggled with perfectionism, um, in my life. And if you also struggle with that, if that's also something for you, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge, but again, once you crack through it and realize again, like, first of all, that you're writing crap and you're supposed to be writing crap, you've got to go into it with the intention of writing crap. There's no path to good work that doesn't go through bad work first, allowing that to be, you know, how you have this experience really opens up space in your life. Perfectionism is uh, like, I, I would say for me, my experience of it has been a very toxic trait. Um, the willingness to do things imperfectly, I think is very important to creative process. And I absolutely encourage, you know, ridding yourself of perfectionism 
as soon as possible before you're about to start a creative process. And all of these things are fine. Like it's not important that you never fall off the bike. It's just important that you get back on, you know, and it's, it's really fine. And, you know, and honestly, I could go on for hours about perfectionism anyway, because perfect doesn't actually exist anyway. You can't do anything perfectly because no matter what you do, from somebody's perspective, it's going to be imperfect. And perfection is a mirage. It's not even real. So to tie yourself up in knots because you're not meeting some kind of standard that is impossible to meet um, is going to be a waste of that energy. Like we're talking about doing that life inventory, like the energy audit that you've got to do. Where is your energy being spent? And if it's being spent on perfectionism, that is wasted wasted energy. So you get nothing else out of coming to this workshop tonight. Take that with you because it is hugely. Once I realized that perfectionism was imaginary, that perfect is imaginary, um, changed a lot of things for me. Uh, another thing to kind of like rid yourself of as you go into creative process is the idea that there is only one right way to do things. Uh, there is a pantser and plotter spectrum. You may have heard about that. Pantsers are people who completely improv their whole story. They just go in, start writing it. Uh, plotters are people who need to look at their whole structure and plan out every scene as it's going to happen and exactly what's going to happen throughout the whole story. And when, you know, me as a pantser, when I'm talking to a friend of mine who is a plotter, I look at the way that they do things and I think I should be doing things like that. That is clearly the right way to do things, right? That's where my thinking goes bad. There is no right way. There is your way. That's it. So whatever it is that works for you. And again, this is something I encourage throughout this whole, like I have this whole structure. I show you how to do it. But within that, there is so much flexibility for you to write how you write. And trying to write the way that somebody else writes is going to be, again, such a waste of energy, right? And you want to maximize the amount of energy you have to put into your creative process. It is a complete waste of energy to try to do things the way that other people do them because you have to do things according to your process. Um, your process can change from book to book. So that means you got to kiss a lot of frogs at the beginning of every book and figure out what's going to work for you and what doesn't. I know that I have been a pantser. Yes. For every single book that I've ever done, every single book, even the one that I wrote with, uh, Cruzy and Stewart dogs and goddesses. Um, that one I was writing with two other people and I still kind of had to improvise. Like I still had to pants my way through a lot of this stuff. So you're going to approach your story. You're going to approach it story first. You're going to approach it character first. Some of you are going to like, it's just going to be different. And you're going to see other writers and look at the way that they're doing things and be like, oh my God, they're awesome. I suck. Right. Absolutely not. Like you are doing things the way that you need to do them. So knowing that there is not one right way, that there are a million ways um, that a story can be written and they're all equally valid, they're all equally fine. Give yourself the space to build a writing process that works for you and maximizes your energy. There's also, again, like getting this idea that the work has to be good. You know, um, it has to like, in order for any of this to be worth it, right? Um, for asking 
to get a, a unbroken cookie from the people in your life for taking the time to do this. Um, if you join the workshop for paying the money for the workshop, um, that in order for all of this to be worth it, this book, this story that I'm going to tell, this screenplay has to be the most amazing thing that has ever been written in the history of literature. That is a lot of pressure. The It's worth it because you're doing something that you have wanted to do. If you want to write a novel, if you want to write a screenplay, um, that is enough. That is the only cost of admission. That is the only value metric that you need to meet. If you're making this choice to spend a year writing the story that you want to write, that's it. That's what makes it worth it. That's what makes it worth it for your friends and family. That's what makes it worth it, you know, for everything that you need to do in order to make that happen. It's just that you're going to get the opportunity to do this thing that you have wanted to do. And that is amazing. That is incredible. So yeah, like you absolutely, that's all you need. The work itself is going to be you. It's going to be your creativity. It's going to be your magic. Um, it's going to be great, right? Like, but you can't worry about it being great. You can't demand that it be great. And you have to know that it is going to be bad, you know, or, or not completely formed at least, you know, throughout the process. And you have to be willing for it to be bad in order to ever make it good. Right. Um, but I think that the more people that are out there doing creative work, the better the world is. I think that creative work is the thing that makes us human. Being able to tell a story is something you can tell a story that somebody's going to read five, 10 years down the road, and it's going to change their life, you know, and all because you decided that it was worth your time and your energy. And that is an incredible, magical thing. So I, I, I really, I don't want anybody to go into any writing process, whether you take the workshop or not, but any writing process without knowing that it's worth it because you want to do it. That's all you need to make it worth it. It doesn't need to break. It doesn't need to be a bestseller. You don't need to get a great advance off of it. It doesn't need to be the best thing that's ever been written by human hands ever. Um, it just needs to be something that you created, a story that you told because stories are magic, like legit freaking magic. And that is an incredible thing to be able to do. So that in of itself, like you don't, there's nothing that you need to achieve aside from just sitting down and writing your story. So I just wanted to make sure that that is out there. Um, all right. So we are getting close to the end, but I do want to spend a little time. And this is something that you can do. And absolutely, if you plan on writing a book, writing a story, doing a big creative project. Um, one of the first things that I, I think is so incredibly valuable to do before you do anything else is to take some time and sit with your fears. Because here's the thing, your fears are going to be there. I am the kind of person, and you know, let me know if you identify at all with this. I am the kind of person that I will have a fear and I will shove it aside and be like, la -di -la -di -la -di -la, you're not there, right? And then I'll just go on my way. And then I'll have more fears, more fears. And I will just ignore them entirely, pretend that they're not there, turn my music up a little bit higher. La, 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 la. Can I hear you? Like that, right? 
And what happens when I do that is that it's not that the fears are not there. It's not that the fears are not, you know, like whispering in my ear all the time. It's just that I am putting energy into ignoring something that is going to be constantly at my side, whispering in my ear and draining my energy, right? So one of the first things that we do in the workshop is we all sit down and we write down what are our fears about participating in this workshop? What are our fears about writing this story? Um, what are our fears about everything, you know? And, um, and you know, we came up, like we all sat down together and we're going to do this in, for anybody who's going to be in the workshop. Uh, we're going to do this at the beginning of the workshop. Um, we sit down, we talk about our fears, we share them. Um, we acknowledge them um, because one of the things that will be draining your energy are those fears that remain unacknowledged. And so they're constantly whispering at you. One of the, I, I took inspiration from the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which if you haven't read it yet, highly, highly recommend. If you're a creative person, every creative person should be reading Big Magic. As a matter of fact, uh, holidays are coming up. It's a great time to buy it for your friends and family that are into creative stuff. Um, because even though Elizabeth Gilbert speaks specifically to her creative pursuit, which is writing, uh, this apply like most of the stuff in this book applies across the board. Um, but one of the things that she said is that she would get overcome by these fears. And then she would look at them and she would acknowledge them and she would say, I am afraid that this work is not going to be good. I am afraid that this work is never going to sell. I am afraid that this work is uh, never actually going to get done, that I'm just going to start and not finish it the way I have not finished so many things before. Um, I am afraid. I am afraid. I am afraid. And you sit with those and you look at each of them and you say, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge this fear that I'm not going to finish this after everything I put aside to be able to do it, that I'm still not going to be able to finish it. I acknowledge the fear that it's not going to be good, right? Because good, we all struggle with. I know I've told you to put it away a number of times in just this hour, right? But we all struggle with it, right? You know, we all struggle with whether it's actually going to be, you know, worth everything that we put into it. And that's a constant struggle. But to sit down and acknowledge all of these fears and be like, all right, I see you here. I honor you. I acknowledge you. You can ride with me because I know that you will, whether I say you can or not, right? You go in the back seat and you sit there and you look out the window and know that I know that you're there. Know that I acknowledge you're there, but I don't need you right now. You are not fulfilling any purpose for me right now. I need you to set aside. And I have to say, like, it is it is crazy to have something that powerful going like in the first day of the workshop because we all sat together. We all talked about our fears. Then everybody was talking about their fears. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. And then I realized that I was bringing their fears into mine too, because I was like, oh, that's a good fear. Yeah, no, I've got that too. Um, it, it just opened up space. Like, again, you cannot expect that you're going to be able to pile the work and the energy and the, the mental and physical and emotional like energy that goes into creating a whole ass story 
and just set it on top of your life and not interfere with anything else, not take away from something else that you're doing. You have to make the energy for this endeavor. And in order to do that, you've got to do that mental and emotional work. You've got to be able to walk through all of that. And it's so incredibly valuable. Like I I cannot even tell you the first couple of weeks of the Year of Writing Magically workshop is all personal work. It's all working through all of our stuff so that we can make the space, make the energy and do the work. And it has been, this is the first year that I've, I've done it. So right now I'm finishing up the first year of the, of the workshop and it has been so incredible, like such an incredible experience and watching these writers, you know, and I'm there with them every day. Like, this is the thing, like we have our actual official like zoom meeting, which is very similar to this, uh, every two weeks but I'm in discord every day. I'm giving advice every day. I'm sharing what I'm going through. You know, it's such a community. It's such a wonderful experience. Um, and I, I absolutely love everything that has been going on with it. Okay, everybody. So that was the first workshop. A lot of that is the stuff that I teach in the first meeting in the actual cohort workshop. Although we do a lot of, uh, you know, where we all break off into rooms and we write down our fears and we, you know, kind of process all of our emotional stuff together. So there's a little bit more interactivity that's done in that one. Um, but that's basically what I do. And I, I cannot even express how valuable it was to clear the emotional decks. I've never done that before, before I've done, a, a, I've started a big writing project. I've started a new novel and I found it to be so incredibly valuable. These were all things that I kind of knew, but I hadn't really codified into my writing process. And, um, and I find it to be so incredibly valuable. So if you are about to start work on a new project, or if, even if you're in the middle of a project that you're working on, I recommend following those steps, you know, uh, write down those fears, do the life inventory, figure out where you've got space and see the difference in how it feels to work on that project. Uh, it is absolutely incredible. All right. So that is it for this episode of How Story Works. Links for everything I discussed today are in the show notes. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And I look forward to seeing you next time. 